Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 97 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Hooray! Hello there, sir. How are you? I'm okay, man. How are you? Not bad. Week two of lockdown is at an end. How are you feeling? <laughs> Start crazy. Okay. Cabin fever starting to take its toll a little bit? Or? It is, yeah. It's safe to say okay. people are at each other's throats, Mitch. It's, it's all getting very the thing. Right, I see. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that I've had a slightly better week this week. I think I've set myself to it a little better than I did last week. Right. Um, I've also, um, I'm not, like, I'm kind of having very inconsistent sleeping patterns. So at four o'clock in the morning, like two days ago, I had an idea for a new creative pursuit that I'm now very excited about, and I've spent the last two days fleshing it out very aggressively. Right, okay. Are you able to give us any more information? Not yet, in case it doesn't happen, because it probably won't, because it's incredibly ambitious. Right. Uh, Wait, I think I saw you. Did you mention this on Twitter? Uh, Yeah, vaguely I did, yeah. Right, okay. Well, I've got a rough idea then of what you're talking about. Yeah, I'll tell you more off, Mike. I, I'm, I'm not comfortable <laughs> telling people about it because I'm fairly confident that it, if it does happen, it won't be for a very long time. Okay, no problem. So, um, what have you been watching this week? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, well, I say a couple of things. Twice now I've settled in to watch The Hunt. Right. Twice now I've paid for The Hunt. That's not cheap. No, it's not cheap. And both times I fell asleep. Oh, okay. That's unfortunate. Uh, do you think that that is uh, lockdown fatigue, or do you think that that is uh, something to do with the film? I don't think it's any reflection on the film, to be honest. What I have seen is very stupid. I'm generally of the opinion that when people say that they fall asleep during a film, it generally doesn't mean that the film is boring or bad. No, no, no. I actually think that that's a very boring and kind of like bland and vaguely off-taking way to talk about a film, when it's like, oh, I fell asleep during it. What does that tell you? It's like that you were tired? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I I've know. got a six-month-old who's going through a sleep regression just now. He's up all the time. He's screaming all the time. Uh, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this is any, in any yes. way a reflection on the hunt. So you say that what you've seen of it so far is stupid. How much are we talking about here as a percentage? I've probably both times seen between a quarter and a third. Okay, okay, okay. So right. I think it's too early to be formulating any kind of opinions. No, you can spunk another £16 on it and then tell us next week. <laughs> I think I'll wait at this point, to be honest. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Anything um, else? Yeah, one other thing that's kind of been taking up my time for the last 24 hours, certainly, is uh, I picked up the new remastered release of Resident Evil 3. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, if anyone wants to uh, do stuff on PlayStation or whatever, I'm on there as Andy makes stuff as well. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, remake of the 1999 game of the same name. Yeah. You play as two characters, Carlos, a shaggy-haired military operative, and Jill Valentine, who fans of the franchise may know from the first game and the films and numerous other installments of the games. Um, yeah, and you're, you're basically trying to escape from Raccoon City in the aftermath of the zombie outbreak there. What I will say, so far, I like it, it looks amazing. I'm loving it less than the remastered Resident Evil 2 that came out last year. 
Right, okay, okay, okay. It just seems a bit more rushed and unpolished compared to Resident Evil 2. Um, and I think I get the feeling I'm coming into the end already, which means it's also considerably shorter. Right. Okay. So I uh, so not my me- not measuring up to its predecessors in a couple of ways potentially. Then. Yeah. I mean, the the original game's great, and this don't get me wrong. This game looks great, plays great, but I don't know. It just it, it definitely feels like it's being made as a result of the success of Resident Evil Two. Right. I see. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm fairly sure they've been in development at the same time because turning another game out in a year can't be easy. Although they're, I know they're all made on the same engine, so I don't know. Perhaps that makes things easier. It's uh, quashing some of that isolation boredom, which at this point is absolutely essential. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that, certainly. I mean, it's a low bar for a compliment, but it is definitely true. (laughs) But it's good. Get it. Get it. If you have the the means to play Resident Evil 3, it's going to pass a good few hours. Cool. Okay. Uh, Anything else? Well, me and you watch something. Yeah, in observance of social distancing, of course, uh, we via Zoom uh, had the first in what we think might be a series of Smoky Thriller Fridays, (laughs) where you, me, and uh, your wife Jackie settled down and watched Deadly Expose. Yeah, we decided we're we're better to find smoky thrillers than the dirty vaults of Netflix. Absolutely, and this one didn't let us down. Deadly Expose, a film about a Ashley Madison-style cheating-slash-dating app that may or may not be responsible for a series of murders-slash-deaths in the town uh, that may also be the responsibility of an anonymous-like group of hackers <laughs> called Incognito. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of that and more. Yeah, this was very silly. I mean, yeah, I mean, if this sounds like a flaming hot pile of garbage, it's because it is, but also it's the right kind of bad. Yeah, yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. It was one of, my, one of the moments that I have laughed the most at in months. Another uh, one you mean? <laughs> you could do a lot worse than looking this out if you're if you're looking for some escapism. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's pretty poor. You telegraph the end in miles before it turns up. Yeah, it's just stupid shit. It'd be interesting to see what we do next week. Certainly, and we're not short of options either, because before we closed the call down last night, we did have a quick whip round Netflix for some of the other available options, and they are plentiful. Yeah, yeah, but I actually spoiled for choice. This could go on a while. We really, really are, yeah. I mean, yeah, we could continue this way past lockdown if we wanted to, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Smoky Thriller Friday's round one, Deadly Expose. Check that out. Um, I have a couple. Right, okay. Uh, I've seen Verotica now. Oh, <laughs> I warned you. Uh, yeah, I should have listened. Okay, go on. Give um, me your thought. So, any regular listeners to the show will know that uh, Andy watched this and had some thoughts a couple of weeks ago. Glenn Danzig's anthology, hosted by your Crypt Keeper character, who's played by Caden Cross. Correct, yes. I agree with you about the wraparound. I think that it's incredibly insubstantial. Um, <laughs> doesn't really need to exist. The segments, the first one, the one uh, with the lady who has eyes for nipples, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. That one was at least entertaining. I thought, like, the terrible French accents, uh, the kind of, like, bad practical stuff. Uh, yeah, you know, there's an element of kind of, like, camp fun to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all downhill from there. The second one, I thought, was... didn't Like, it didn't really have a story, but also it kind of tied in with what you were saying about it just being an excuse for Glenn Danzig to uh, look at naked women. Sure, yes, yes. Like, it's extremely kind of leading in that way, as the whole film is, really. Um, and the third segment is one of the worst segments I've ever seen in any anthology ever. <laughs> um, I mean, I think they probably all are, but I mean, this one was particularly bad. Um, yeah, I did not expect a period piece. No, 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 no. Um, I did not expect four to six minutes of that woman vamping in front of a mirror. Um, 
Yeah, no, um, an absolute atrocity, really. And I have kind of said this to people on Twitter since I've seen it. But if anything that we're saying is triggering a morbid curiosity and you fight that instinct. Yeah, quell that urge within you. Like, you will find nothing redemptive in Glenn Danzig's Verotica. So true, so true. Elsewhere, I jumped onto Netflix and uh, I don't know why I keep doing this, but I watched Annabelle Creation. Ah, okay. Yeah, the second in the Annabelle series and the 48th film in the Conjuring universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they keep putting them out, don't they? They sure do. Um, I watched this one. I didn't like the original, as regular listeners will know. Yes, I yes. watched this one because I thought the lights out was okay. Uh-huh. Uh, reasonably interested in seeing what happened here because the general consensus seems to be that Annabelle creation is better than Annabelle. Mm-hmm. I would say that that probably is true, but I still didn't like it. <laughs> okay yeah okay fair yeah the prequel thing set an indeterminate amount of time before the events of the first film thing worked with Ouija origin of evil yeah <laughs> that mike flanagan did i don't think it works here it reminds me more unfortunately of uh, the woman in black angel of death oh yeah that's um which is terrible. which is a film that I, I really really hate that film uh it's better than that film but yeah no I, I i couldn't get on board with this at all yeah i'm just i'm fed up of creepy dolls i'm fed up of big dark scary houses i'm fed up of long slow walks <laughs> down hallways i'm fed up of people's willful ignorance to the existence of light bulbs these films are well made. The, the, I've seen nothing from these two films that would lead me to believe that David F. Sandberg is not a good filmmaker. Well, I mean, if you've seen Shazam, he definitely is. Oh, I haven't, but yeah, but like, um, yeah, there's. I think that from a technical angle, there's nothing really wrong here. It's just that these films, like The Nun and this and the other ones, all like basically anything that's not a Conjuring film in these, they feel like such narrow variations on something that's so derivative. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. I. I mean, I don't resent that these things make money because it's always great when horror films make money. I'm down with that. But it is a shame, though, that these are the big ones and these are the ones that kind of like will be talked about most in the mainstream and things in average years. These That's frustrating to me because I feel like there's so much better stuff out there being made for so much less money. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, um, I've got a real... I'm starting to get a real bitterness towards the, these Wannaverse films. Yeah, I'm losing patience with them, although anyone who listens will know that I didn't have that much in the first place. Sure, sure. But yeah, um, I think I've watched all of them now. Yeah, it's out there, and if you want to go check it out, then you can. I still haven't seen Annabelle Comes Home or Annabelle Homecoming. Yeah, Annabelle Comes Home. I, I thought that was the best of the three, to be honest. Oh, God, now we have to watch that too. <laughs> That's my viewing for this week, though, with one obvious exception. Mitch goes back to the 90s! He sure does. This week, I caught up with what has been a Tim Burton blind spot for me for a while. Right. Um, watched Mars Attacks. Oh, okay. Um, which I remember existing <laughs> when sure. it came out, which was I think was when I was around about 11 or 12. Uh, never saw it at the time. Always liked the look of the aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, forgot how good the cast was here. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, yeah. Like a real proper ensemble, I suppose, as those kind of films were years ago, a lot of the time. I thought this was all right. Okay. Um, I don't feel like it's ever as kind of mental as it thinks it is. Right. I think as it goes on, it gets kind of escalatingly crazy in a nice way. But I feel like... The, especially about the first hour of it it's trying to like revel in its own insanity in a way that doesn't work because it's not mad enough to make that work <laughs> okay it's been a long time since i've watched it i mean i'm a big fan but it has been I mean, a while I... so i don't know i don't know how it'll fare revisiting it now it's probably been about five years ten years since i watched it i would describe it as fitfully entertaining okay right <laughs> uh so yeah i'm I'm gonna try and dig something a little bit better up for next week because that's what i said this past week and i've once again failed yeah and uh tom jones hero of the piece absolutely yeah so 
What have they been saying? Saying a decent amount this week on the feedback, obviously quite a lot of it centering around Lair of the White Worm. This past week's episode, big thank you Paul Etheridge, the director of Hellbent, for joining us to talk about that. Yeah, amazing. Uh, also the first person in to buy the Chekhov's Mongoose shirt that landed in our tea public this week, so thank you for that too. A lot of people getting in touch on this one, Salter Popcorn, Kevin Matthews, the film choice coming up this week. Oh my god, yes, genuinely love it, and not just because I was so confused and frightened and tingly when Amanda Donahoe washed a young boy named Kevin. Yeah, more on Lair of the White Worm here. I have a new person alert. Always uh, nice. Emily McQuaid at Miss McHugh uh, saying, Brilliant, that film is a fine piece of trashy weirdery. Having now seen it, I would agree. Buying an LV or Opa, Laura getting in touch. Oh hell, that's going to be good. Lair of the White Worm with the director of Hellbent. Get in. Laura, I hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I know we saw on Twitter later on in the week that you were watching the film. Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, if you got her into the episode, let us know what you think. Please do. That would be amazing. I have more on Lair of the White Worm here, this time coming yep. in from Quizat's Hadarak of Love. Okay. Our old pal Jenny McCarthy, 81. Can't wait for this one. My favourite Hugh Grant film by a mile. <laughs> yeah, it might be mine as well, actually. Yeah, now you say it. I mean, I'm struggling to think of something that comes even close to this in my mind. I mean, Paddington 2? Oh yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Elsewhere, we've got John Crennan, former guest, Congo episode. Ah. Uh, getting in touch saying, yes, perfect excuse to dig this one out and give it a watch before Friday. So hope you enjoyed the episode, John. Also, I've got Herbie Hoare on Twitter saying, absolutely love this film. Can't wait to listen. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Andrew Marshall at Semi Pro Geek. Andrew, by the way, glad you're still alive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back to the land of the living. Yeah, we were concerned about you. Uh, but Andrew, getting in touch to say, quickly rewatching Lair of the White Worm before this week's Strong Violent PC, because where else will you get? to see Peter Capaldi in a kilt and playing bagpipes to hypnotise a snake demon. I suppose nowhere. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. Where indeed. Have you got anything else on Lair of the White Worm? I'm tapped on that, but I've got a few other things. No, that's it. Okay, cool. I've got MCP Buckley getting in touch on Twitter for a change this time. Uh, he's recently picked up a shirt for himself from our T Publix. He's gone for the uh, Not the Face gorilla shirt. Or the genitals, yeah. Indeed. Uh, posted a picture of that. So thanks to that, CP. Hope you're enjoying that one. Yes, definitely. And again, thanks to everyone who buys any shit that we put out there. Like, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, John Paul Fitch at Johnny Boy getting in touch to mm-hmm. say, just found the amazing and amazingly underseen Stir of Echoes on Amazon Prime. And that's just a recommendation, presumably to ourselves, to go and watch Stir of Echoes, which I have should seen. I, should I watch that? I think it's a 90s film. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, maybe we'll squeeze that one in then. Um, want to touch on something that's kind of half about um, Lair of the White Worm, actually, and also a little bit about how we're fitting into people's routines right? Okay. Um, in these strange times that we live in. Uh, Hanny underscore Ray getting in touch on Twitter. My new Friday morning ritual, since I presently don't have a commute, involves coffee and listening to Strong Violent PC while doing all my weekly reporting. The phrase, wall-mounted Jesus, may have caused a small coffee <laughs> spillage this morning. <laughs> Hannah, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I'm glad that we're still managing to feature in your week. Yeah, greatly appreciated, of course. Neil at Horror of Dracula saying, Time for a long walk to the sounds of these cool cats. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. We were, we were soundtracking a couple of his walks this week, I believe. Always nice. Yeah, I've, I've never considered myself cool in any way. Certainly not cool enough to be a cat. I'm more of a, <laughs> a vole. Very good. Okay, good, good. Elsewhere, Graham Hughes, Faction Man. Uh, you may know him, of course, from Directing Death of a Vlogger. Also, the Ghost in the Darkness and Godzilla episodes of our show. Yeah. 
Um, a word on Gremlins 2 saying, or specifically on the Gremlins 2 episode, so disappointed that Watch Fires Mitch and Adam Stovall just breezed past the fact that Andy Makes Stuff took a two-year puppetry course. Dedicated bonus ode for this? <laughs> Look, I'm available for questioning on this at any point. Feel free to at me or whatever. Like, I can I, I can shed some light on, on this and on the facts and on my... Uh, on the things I've learned. This is what the feedback section is for as well, you know? It doesn't <laughs> necessarily have to be related to an episode. If you have a question about Andy's puppetry course, about anything that either of us have going on, maybe you have some life problems you'd like some advice on. We're both terrible at that, but we can try. <laughs> um, a word from Alison Garsha. Get yes. in touch. Um, regular listener, sometimes contributor. She's got some thoughts on the 90s side quest. I'd love to hear Watchfire's Mitch's hot take on the heavily plotted trashy thriller that is The Hand That Rocks the Cradle as Ooh. part of his 90s side quest. The female stalker thriller was such an important part of that decade. Yeah, agreed. Um, I would very much like for you to get into things like that, like Basic Instinct, Fatal Attraction. Yeah, yeah. this, this could all happen. This could all happen. The world is my oyster within certain very obvious parameters. <laughs> uh, that's about it from me for Feedback You. Yeah, one last thing coming in. Cosmic Ray Girl getting in touch to say thank you for continuing to bring us your podcast. I really appreciate some normality in this new crazy current climate. I'll even no give problem. this film a watch. Yeah. Thanks very much for getting in touch, Alexis. And I hope you watched Later the White Worm. Yeah, you know what you should. So, moving on. Is it it is once again time for Mitch's Pitches. Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. You will have photoshopped out the title and the tagline and any identifying text. You'll leave only the image. My job will be to describe the image to the best of my ability and give it a title and a synopsis. We will also share that image everywhere on social media so you guys can play along at home. So last week we had Scared Stiff. Correct. Well done. Well remembered. You're getting really good Which at this. Thanks very much. Reappropriated by me, if I'm not mistaken, as the mortally malnourished madman of Magnolia Lane, it didn't come from beneath the floorboards. <laughs> um, we had an absolute mountain of uh, contributors this week, so I've uh, weeded out some of the best ones. Uh, C.P. Buckley, first up then. Uh, settle in. Oh, really? Is that another long one? Dolly and Herman Trap move into their dream home, but soon find something's wrong with the place. Dolly goes up to the attic one day and finds a strange mannequin covered in a putrid-smelling yellow liquid. After she tells her husband they both go up, the mannequin is gone. Herman laughs it off, but Dolly feels like there's something else in the house. As Herman goes to work and Dolly's left at home, she starts to experience strange occurrences, weird voices, and objects moving. When Herman comes home from work each day, he refuses to believe her strange stories. As Dolly starts to feel like she's going insane, she investigates the house in the local area. She discovers that Herman's family used to live in the house and that they had a strange reputation. When she confronts Herman about this, he goes crazy and hits her on the head with a saucepan, knocking her out. When she wakes up, she's tied to a chair in the basement and sees Herman standing in front of her wearing a bodysuit made from the skin of his dead male relatives. Dolly manages to escape from the basement but finds the house is all locked up and the Herman is trying to capture her to give her a suit made from the skin of Herman's female relatives. It's a 1983 cult-ish classic, Trapped in the Trap House. <laughs> wow. Good title at the end of all that. So, elsewhere we have Chris Salt. Mm-hmm. Unable to conceive a child by natural means, newlyweds Will and Trudy Barron <laughs> find their home unsettlingly quiet without the pitter-patter of tiny feet. So they adopt a youngster from the Stank and Frein Orphanage, an institute of unethical biological sciences. <laughs> their suspicions are raised, however, when the arrival of young Aaron coincides with the mysterious and bloody deaths of a number of local pets. 
Also, their boy has claws, weird tufts of wiry hair, and the kind of scars that hint at some kind of major reconstructive surgery. Confronting the boffins who run the orphanage, the barons are shocked to learn that Aaron is really a grotesque surgical hybrid of a human child and a large bat that they slung together one Friday afternoon for a laugh. When the resulting feral Crimera turned out to be a dangerously murderous monster with a thirst for blood, they decided to offload him on the first pair of saps who came by. Now, with the boy's strength growing and his deadly animal instincts becoming more pronounced with every passing day, it's up to Will and Trudy to tame the savage beast and show him the true value of a loving family before their dream home becomes a nightmare. Loosely adapted from the Nick Hornby bestseller, it's 1998's A Bat A Boy. <laughs> Fractured visions on Twitter, an incestuous couple are haunted by the demonic demon child they thought they had aborted, the title Hellspawn. Right, okay, yes. Kinell on uh, Twitter, driven insane and slowly mutating from the toxic fumes of a discount developing fluid, (laughs) one-hour photo clerk Ronan Kodak finally snaps (laughs) and begins axe-murdering members of his customers' families. Terrible developments ensue in 1986's (laughs) Kodak the Barbarian, serial killer of a portrait. (laughs) Excellent work. Yeah, I'm a fan, I must say. That's pretty outstanding. Honey underscore Ray, after a horrific accident kills his greaser, Dan Touch Me, he's brought back by the Frankensteinian dabblings of his biology professor, using some questionable parts, including pieces of the classroom pet iguana, Steve. No. But can the monstrous creation win back his girl in Iguanastein? <laughs> Sold. Elsewhere, we have a couple more uh, from Facebook. Stephen Wales, after being freed from an alternative dimension where he'd been trapped by an ancient deity, Swedish rock star Ivor Bignut prepares to move in to his new home with his girlfriend Titi Fuker. <laughs> Little do they realise that they're about to get some unwanted house guests as the old one and his followers seek revenge. Starring Morten Harkett, it's 1988's <laughs> Lovecraft-inspired schlockfest, Dig On Me. <laughs> Kevin Matthews, when the demon Pazizu finds that his wife Sheila Leavesoon has been having an affair with the lead singer of a Kajagugu tribute act, he sheds his human form, opts to hunt them down, tracing clues of their whereabouts from the one photo that dropped out of Sheila's purse, and kills every member of the band, leaving fake Lamal and Sheila for last in the 1987 cult hit Not Too Shy, Hush Hush, Time to Die. John Paul Fitch, when amateur wedding photographer Paul A. Royd is hired to cover the nuptials of reclusive aristocrat Count Lenz Viewfinder, he finds himself involved against his will in the Count's taxidermy erotica VHS production company. Can Paul escape with his modesty intact, or will he find himself stuffed for display in 1982's Maximum Exposure? (laughs) And finally, Tony Constantinou, when the owners of Baltimore Zoo are caught trafficking illegal animals during a police raid, the DA unexpectedly cuts them a deal and puts them into witness protection in exchange for information on their entire operation. Suspecting a cover-up from his own office and the familiar stench of untouchable Baltimore business kingpin Mandingo Cork... It's once again time for assistant DA and amateur reptile enthusiast Derek Parsnip to take the law into his own hands and suit up as vigilante alter ego Iguana Man to infiltrate Baltimore Zoo and uncover the thickening plot in first-time director Ted Raimi's garbage 1983 sequel, Scales of Justice 2, The Zoo Creeper. (laughs) That's the pick of the bunch this week. Oh, <laughs> um, okay, I am going to give best character name to Tony for Mandingo Cork. Certainly, <laughs> happy with that. And best overall pitch to Kinnell. Ah, Kodak the Barbarian, serial killer of a portrait. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is, that is superb, I have to say. So I guess it's my turn now? Yes, uh, 
And we come at last to this. Okay, are you ready? Yeah, here we go. There you are. Okay, so the border of this image is uh, plain white, or kind of mm -hmm. off-white. On the left-hand side of the image, we have a blue-eyed man standing in the shadows, mm -hmm. bathed in a yellow glow from behind. Um, he is holding in front of him, by its tail, a mouse, or a rat. <laughs> a mouse? Fuck off. <laughs> well, a rat, then. Uh, with very blue eyes. Yeah. He's holding mm -hmm. it by its tail, dangling it downwards. The mm -hmm. uh, mouse is, or the rat, is facing <laughs> off to our right. Just call it a rodent, just for avoidance of any doubt. Sh sure, sure. On the right-hand side of the image, we have a grid of four pictures. They are of four different women. One is, they're actually, yeah, they're, they're very, very different. And they're in very, very, very different states as well. Sure. So the one on the bottom is lying. She looks dead. Uh, there's blood pouring out of her nose. Uh, she's got brown hair. They're all white. Very glassy um, eyes. Very glassy. Very, yeah. Uh, directly above her, we have a woman with like a little bit more of a kind of a kind of mumsy hairstyle by the looks of it. Mm -hmm. uh, she is looking upwards, not even necessarily shocked. She just looks a little bit kind of distraught. And uh, we can also see um, a hand holding a small blade in there as well. The top one, we've got a kind of almost Debbie Harry looking woman here. Um, but with like bigger blonde hair she's quite heavily made up she's quite pouty and she's looking directly into the camera and on the left the kind of leftmost picture we have a brown haired woman I would say it's difficult to tell the picture is not in colour she is smiling and looking off to her right over her shoulder yeah yeah okay so yeah there you go uh shadowy man holds rodent by tail and uh, we have a grid of four women in varying states of distress and joy <laughs> right i'll need a moment sure sure so what we've learned this week mitch is that you don't know much about rodents Fair assessment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could identify the, the squirrel. See. Yeah, 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 yeah. I could pick a squirrel out from a lineup. Speaking of squirrels, by the way, did you notice that uh, former guest El Gustavo Cooper seems to have taken ownership of two wayward squirrels that he found in his garden? I did see that. Yeah, very cool, very cool. I hope they're well looked after. I'm certain they will be. Yeah, very sweet as well. Very lovely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. other people might have just clobbered them with a brick. I suppose that's true. Uh, how are you getting on? I'm just about there. Cool. Okay, here we go. Alexa, Cassandra, Fran and Millicent are the four co-directors of Sunshine Skincare, a burgeoning company specialising in bespoke perfumes and moisturisers. <laughs> Having dominated their chosen niche market by a pattern of deft corporate strategy and a bloodless approach to employee retention, the company now operates as a slickly maintained and delicately streamlined machine. However, what the general public doesn't know is that the company condones and practices horrific animal testing, a secret preserved mostly via the timely dismissal of employees who get a little too close to the truth. One such casualty is Ernest Truth, an outspoken <laughs> animal rights campaigner who lost his place in the rat race when he was sacked by the company under mysterious circumstances. With the women meeting on the top floor of their high-rise office for a secret meeting, Ernest is out for revenge and releases a horde of rabid rats into the building, barricading all the doors in the process. Can the women survive, and will they learn a lesson about their wildly unethical business practices? Find out in 1988's eerily prescient shocker, The Vivisection Inspection, Employment Verminated. <laughs> Happy with that? Ah, uh, not bad, I don't think. Okay, so you said 1988? I did indeed, yeah. The year is 1973. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. <laughs> Quite far out. Uh, and the film is The Killing Kind. 
The Killing Kind. Okay, tell me more. So uh, this week's synopsis coming in from Alfie Hitchy, who I think we've had before on IMDb. Uh, this one's kind of grim. It gets dark. Okay, go on. Uh, so right. uh, prepare yourself. Young Terry Lambert returns home from serving a prison term for a gang rape he was forced to participate in. Christ. <laughs> he seeks revenge on his lawyer and the girl who framed him. But his real problem is his overbearing mother, whose boarding house he resides in and who keeps bringing him glasses of chocolate milk. <laughs> right. One of her boarders, Lori, becomes attracted to him. However, while he was serving his prison sentence, Terry developed an interest in rough... Violent sex and gory death. Not gory death, that's the worst kind. Yeah, terrible, horrible. Now, one by one, some of the town's women pop up dead. Oh, is that all? That's it, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, is this any good? Uh, no idea, but it does have 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb, although that's only from 743 reviews, so... Stur- sturdy, though. Sturdy, yep, yep. not bad. Draw your own not conclusions. Bad. That concludes Mitch's Pitches for this week. That image is everywhere now, so uh, get in touch, play along. We love hearing from you. We do. Turn our attentions then to the streaming platforms this week. Just going to get this out of the way. There is nothing on Amazon Prime. <laughs> on Netflix, Thursday the 9th, we've got Welcome to Mercy. When she goes to Latvia with her daughter to visit her dying father, a woman is afflicted by stigmata-like wounds and seeks help at a sinister convent. Friday the 10th, film that needs no introduction, Child's Play 2019. Oh. <laughs> um, boys terrorised by a maliciously programmed high-tech doll that becomes self-aware and turns homicidal in this 80s horror reboot. Uh, you might remember me and Andy didn't care for this one, but a lot of people out there seem to, uh, so that's available to check out from Friday the 10th if you're interested. Saturday the 11th, we've got Code 8. In a city where super-powered people are ostracised, an earnest day labourer considers using his outlawed abilities for money to save his sick mother. Mm. Moving on then to Shudder now. We did get an update from Shudder about some of the stuff that was available last week as well, so I'm just going to touch on that because I didn't have an opportunity to read oh, it yeah, last week. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, April 1st, Everly, the Joe Lynch film. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Everly betrays her ex, a powerful mob boss, she must face a legion of killers who are out to collect the bounty on the heads of her and her family. It stars Selma Hayek there. And on April 1st, you've got Corin Hardy's The Hallow, when a London-based conservationist is sent to Ireland to survey an area of forest believed to be hallowed ground. His actions disturb a horde of demonic creatures who prey upon the lost. April 2nd, you had episode 1 of Cursed Films, which I mentioned last week. Uh, the Exorcist was that one. Oh, yeah. And uh, April 9th, you've got the next two. Uh, episode 2 on Poltergeist and episode 3 on The Omen. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, really looking forward to getting stuck into those. And on Sky Cinema this week, or now TV, on Wednesday we've got Prey. A bloodthirsty okay. jungle creature terrorises a young man and a mysterious woman on a seemingly idyllic island. And on Thursday the 9th, we've got Burn. Melinda is a lonely and unstable gas station attendant who's tired of being overshadowed by her more confident and outgoing co-worker. When a robber holds the station up at gunpoint, Melinda tries to make a connection with the desperate thief. So that's your lot for this week. I would say for a pick, I'm gonna go with Cursed Films, actually, because I didn't do that last week, and I think it sounds like it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I'm going to go with Cursed Films or Everly. I am not going to recommend Child's Play because I hated it. No, I don't feel like I can do that in good conscience either. So turning our attentions to this week then, and we have got a guest this week. He is, amongst other things, a regular contributor to Evolution of Horror. Yes, yes, yes. It's Mr. Brad Hansen. I'm looking forward to this. Now, this has been coming. It was bound to happen. Which film are we doing this week? We are going back to 1990 for what I believe to be the greatest sequel ever made. (laughs) Okay. It's Troll 2. Troll 2. It has taken 97 episodes for that to happen. 2.9 out of 10 on IMDb. 
guys, if you haven't seen this yet, it is an absolute joy. Uh, it is rentable on Prime Video right now. It's also, I believe, on YouTube in like 10 parts. Yep, there's also an amazing package out from Eureka, which has Troll and Troll 2 and the documentary Best Worst Movie in it. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. This is going to be a fun one. Brad Hansen joins us this week, and we are talking Troll 2. How are you feeling about that? Get in touch with us. You can do that through a number of channels, of course. Facebook and Instagram, we're Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can, of course, email Scenes at gmail.com. I'm actually so excited about this, Mitch. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Like, I feel sick with excitement. Yeah. Andy, are there any places on the internet that people could find out about us, apart from all the social media channels that I just mentioned? Do you know we have a website, strongviolentpod.com? Oh. Well, okay, tell me more. Sounds interesting. Sounds like something that would be tailored to my exact interests. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're looking for, I guess, suggestions and where you could listen to us, you'll find them there. You'll find a big list of them. You'll also find links to our Tee Public page, which has just been updated with a couple of new designs based on last week's episode, in which Mitch finally settled on his favourite Chekhov's item, in this case, Chekhov's Mongoose. <laughs> it's out there yeah and you'll also find live dates and stuff as and when they're announced obviously that's all a bit up in the air just now so i wouldn't really expect any massive updates there no not for a wee while but these wheels haven't stopped turning we are still looking at some things so obviously we won't be able to announce anything for a little while until things become a little bit clearer but we're not forgetting about you we will be back out in the world doing live shows as soon as we can Yep, and we'll be letting you come up and hug us and stroke us and touch us and just breathe our general air, safe in the knowledge that you will probably not contract coronavirus by that time. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be nice, isn't it? We are back this Friday for episode 97. We're talking Troll 2 with Brad Hansen. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chads. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.